You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. When a man has a vision of a horrific crash, can he stop it in time? And then we meet a lovable old grandmother who dies too soon. While her family is still mourning her loss, her own grandson will come face to face with a vision of death he wished he never saw. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys are having tons of fun doing whatever you're doing. We're getting close to Halloween, the spookiest night of all. That will also be the last episode of this season of Dead Rabbit Radio. I will take a two-week break after that. But while I'm on break, I will be at the Port Gamble Ghost Conference in Port Gamble, Washington. It is the weekend of November 10th, 11th, and 12th. I will be speaking on November 10th if you want to come and see me. I also do a workshop on the 11th. I don't talk about that a lot. It's about podcasting and the paranormal. If you guys want to check that out too, you can buy a one-day ticket or a three-day ticket. But I hope I get to see you there if you're in the area. It would be a lot of fun to meet you guys in person. Someone who never meets people in person because he's just too rich. Walking into Dead Rabbit Command right now is one of our legacy Patreon supporters. Everyone get on your feet and give it up for Bill Gapes. Woohoo, yeah, wee! <laughs> there he comes, dancing on into Dead Rabbit Command. Bill Gapes, such a disgusting name. You're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the show financially through the Patreon, the merch store, PayPal donations, whatever, that's totally fine. It truly is. Just help spread the word about Dead Rabbit Radio. That helps out so, so much. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell everyone you know. Dead Rabbit Radio is your favorite paranormal show. We also now have YouTube memberships available. You can donate through YouTube. And you'll get all the same benefits as a Patreon or PayPal supporter will. You'll get a shout-out on the show. If you give me your address, I'll mail you a sticker. Still trying to figure out a way that I could get you guys into the Discord. Because that is controlled by Patreon. But... We'll see what we can do, but that option is now available as well. Bill Gapes, I'm going to go ahead and toss you a steam shovel. Everyone climb on board the Carpenter Caboose. We are chug-chug-chugging out of Dead Rabbit Radio. Bill, take us all the way out to Wisconsin. Nice, leisurely railroad trip. I love riding on trains. They're really awesome. Nice leisurely railroad trip all the way out to Wisconsin. Rural Wisconsin, to be specific. Rural Wisconsin. We're going back around 20 years. It was an ordinary Friday night in spring. It's 11 p.m. And we're about to meet this young man. He didn't give his name. We're going to go ahead and call him Peter. He might have given his name. We'll get to that in a second, but... We're going to meet this guy, his name, we'll call him Peter. Peter and his friends, he said, we were all teenagers. We were about 16 to 17 years old. We would go down long open roads. 
her long late night drives. I used to do that a lot too. When I was a kid, when gas was 99 cents a gallon, I'd just get in my car and drive around Sacramento for hours on end with my buddies, Steve and Mauricio. We would just talk, listen to Letters to Cleo. They didn't have a choice. I love Letters to Cleo. They're like, oh, not this album again. Yep, this album again. This is what they did for fun, too. Hopped in the car and just drove down these long open roads. Well, on this Friday night, everyone climbs into the car. There's five passengers in total. Three of them squeezed in the back. Peter was shotgun. His other buddy's driving. Come on, boys. Let's see what the road has for us. (laughs) Driving off into the night. The moon was beaming down. You could see for miles in every direction. Peaceful quiet outside of the outside of the rumbling of their car and the conversation inside of it they're headed towards an intersection and the way it's laid out because it's just such open areas you could see far down this intersection on either side of it you're looking there and they see a set of headlights coming down that road they see a set of headlights another car is headed for the same intersection Peter realizes that their car is going to reach the intersection first. There's no stop sign. So they're just going to go through it. Not a big deal, right? These cars can see each other because it's so dark out other than the moon. The headlights are gleaming. As they get closer, they're about a quarter mile out from the intersection. All of a sudden, the other car speeds up. Peter described it as they just gunned the engine. They were trying to beat Peter and his friends to the intersection. It's approaching the intersection very rapidly at this point. And who knows why the driver didn't make any adjustments, or maybe he did. You know, the folly of youth. Maybe you think, wow, I'm going to beat this knucklehead to the intersection. I'm going to be the first one. To cross this road. It's not a big deal, right? It's not a big deal to an adult. Whatever, let the other car beat you. Peter, the driver in Peter's car, doesn't adjust his speed. He's continuing to go. They end up both reaching the intersection at the same time. And Peter said the car filled up with the headlights. He just remembers the entire interior of the car that he's in is so brightly illuminated. That's how close these cars are. He realizes three things in very short order. The cars are going to hit each other, and there's no avoiding that. It's going to be a very violent T-bone. Peter's car, the one he's the passenger in, is going to get slammed into by this other vehicle. And it's going to hit his side of the car. And it's not just that Peter notices this. Everyone in the car notices this. Everyone in the car begins screaming. They all start to brace for impact. They are getting rear-ended. That's one thing. If they were getting into a head-on collision, the engine's going to absorb most of that force, but 
getting T-boned, everyone on the passenger side is going to be horrifically injured. These teenagers realize this is going to be a very pivotal moment in their lives. Possibly the last moment in their lives as they're screaming and waiting for this car to just slam into them. But the other car's headlights shut off before impact. The car is no longer illuminated. It's once again dark. And that's when Peter and his friends realize the other car was never there in the first place. It had completely vanished. That was the end of that night. Right? You're not gonna nothing's gonna be more exciting than that. You're not gonna head out to the local Sonic, grab some slushies. No, you're going to go home. You're going to go home because you can't explain what just happened. And he said the whole ride back, that's all we talked about. What happened? I saw, we could see the car approaching from a distance. It sped up. It slammed into us. Well, it it didn't slam into us. That's the weird part. It should have. We're glad that it didn't. But we saw it from far off. We watched it speed up. The headlights filled our car, and then nothing. A week later, it's another Friday night. That's how weeks work. And all of the friends want to go out for a late night drive, but Peter has to work. So he's like, guys, I can't can't go out with you guys tonight. Have fun. Later that night, slash early the next morning, Peter gets some bad news. His friends were involved in a horrific car accident. Around 11 p.m., they are driving through rural Wisconsin. And they got T-boned by a car at an intersection. Chills ran up Peter's spine. He knew instinctively and learned later it was the same intersection where they saw the event happen last week. This week did end in a collision. It was a drunk driver. T-boned them at this intersection. Everyone survived. His four friends were in the car. All of them survived, but two of them needed extensive surgery. And one of them, his friend sitting in the passenger seat, the same seat that he was sitting in last week, and the seat he would have been sitting in had he gone out with his friends that night. That friend not only had to have tons of surgery, he had a really bad brain injury. And while he is alive and all right, now he had to learn how to walk again.
Peter posted this story online underneath the username It's Peter J. So I assume that would be his name. And he ended it with this. He said, quote, what the hell was it? A time loop? A glitch in the Matrix? Converging realities? Am I dead? I have tried and tried, but I do not have a rational answer for what happened. Really weird story, isn't it? And it's weird on a couple different levels. We've obviously had stories of people having premonitions of disasters before they happened. And it is events like that, we see them happen from time to time, that I think really do have a survivor bias. I think there are even more events where people, before they're boarding a plane on September 11th, think, something doesn't feel right. Maybe they even had a nightmare the night before, the week before, the month before, of them being in a plane flying very low over the city of New York. It's such a real dream. It rattled them. But when it was time for them to board their plane, you know, you've already spent hundreds of dollars on your tickets. You have to be somewhere at a specific time. You're not going to cancel your flight because of a dream. You'd look foolish when you didn't get to your destination when you were supposed to. And people said, hey, I thought you were going to be on that plane. Oh, I had a dream a couple nights ago. Really rattled me, really shook me up. So I decided to just take another plane. You don't want to be out a couple hundred dollars, so I'm just, I'm going to get on the plane. What could the harm be? I don't think it's the most common event, but I'm sure it happens from time to time. People do have these premonitions, and yet they don't follow their instinct. They get on that plane, and then it crashes into the World Trade Center. Now, if someone did cancel their ticket and say, I'll take a later flight, I'll sleep in that morning, and they wake up and they see the tragedy that happened on that date, their loved ones wouldn't think they were foolish. They'd be like, wow, that was amazing. That saved your life. But you know, the thing is, whenever I get on a plane, it's gotten better over the years, but it used to be whenever I'd get on a plane to think, this is the plane that's going to go down. This is the plane that's going to crash. Like, you're really, like, nervous. Like, leading up to the trip, basically until that plane lands. I would get really nervous and be like, did I make a mistake? Is this the plane something bad is going to happen to? And it never has. It never has. But imagine if I had canceled all those tickets. <laughs> imagine if I was like, I have a really bad feeling about this. And canceled all those tickets. I'd look foolish. I'd be wasting money. So a lot of times we do get on that plane. We covered an episode not too long ago. It might have been a season or two ago. I'll put it in the show notes. About the guy who was aboard a, a ship. Traveling. It was way back like old timey. Like, I think it was turn of the century, 1900s or something like that. And he got a bad feeling about the boat. One, because he was an experienced passenger on these vessels. And he could tell this one was not designed very well. He could tell that it was like tipping too much. And people had a hard time eating because it was listing and, and things were going everywhere. But he had an option. He was trying to get to Europe. 
At this point, it's on the... It's in South Africa. It's rounding South Africa. And he has a horrific dream of a man in a military uniform holding a sword in one hand and a bloody rag in the other. And all the passengers on the ship were arranged in line standing in front of this dude. And he's like, okay, that's all I need. He actually tried telling other people, hey, this something's wrong with this boat. Like, it's structurally unsound. And out of all the passengers on the boat, he was the only one to get off in South Africa. Again, this is old time. He had to go to Europe. He's going to have to take trains and camels, probably part of the trip, to get home. He's told his family, hey, it's going to be a while, but I did not like that boat. I had some weird feelings. I had this horrific dream. And the boat sailed on without him and was never seen again. Not any wreckage of it, not a body, nothing. The boat completely disappeared. And he testified at the hearing for, you know, obviously like there was a bunch of insurance claims and the company was being sued. I think they were facing criminal charges because the boat was so poorly designed. He testified in court about his dream and about what he had seen on the boat. Physically, the stuff that was wrong, plus the horrible dream he had. He didn't look foolish. They go, wow, what an amazing thing. But think about the amount of money he had to spend. And he obviously had it available. Like, I would be like, well, I guess I'm South African now. Like, there'd be no way for me to travel up through Africa. I don't have that type of money. Now, it's really interesting, this story, because nobody died. And they all witnessed the event. All five of them, the same five people in the car the previous week, felt that they were going to get slammed into by this car. And yet it didn't happen. They all experienced it. It wasn't that just Peter had seen it. He was trying to convince his friends, no, no, you can't drive tonight. And if you do, just stay away from that intersection, please, guys. They all had seen it. They all couldn't explain it. And when a week had passed, they decided to just travel around randomly. I don't think they go, well, let's go to that intersection and see if that happens again. This is just a path that they would take. And this accident happened. And, and, you know, you could say, well, even if Peter had been in the car, he would have just gotten a bad brain injury. <laughs> Which, I mean, he's still, I mean, like having to learn how to walk again is pretty rough. It's also possible, like I had a friend who was a bodybuilder and he had a stroke. Very young man when he had a stroke in his 20s. And he lost pretty much all of his muscles. Like he still had muscles. He wasn't just a pile of goo. Went around in a, a wheelbarrow. He had muscles, but he goes, yeah, I lost all that work. He goes, I put in so many years building my body up. He's done modeling and stuff like that. He was a bodybuilder, did modeling for bodybuilding supplements and stuff like that. He goes, um, all that work, I felt like it was such a waste. And I said, well, it probably saved your life. I go, had you have been in worse shape that stroke most likely would have killed you or drastically changed your life rather than you just losing all of that definition, all that muscle mass you put on over the years. And he goes, he never thought about it that way. He goes, yeah, you're right. A stroke at my age with my body type is going to be far more devastating than a stroke someone, even my own age, who's more fit. And so Peter could have been killed in a car accident. You could have two people... In the same car accident, maybe the friend braced himself in a way that Peter wouldn't have. And it only resulted in a horrible brain injury, which again is pretty bad. It's probably the second or third worst thing that can happen 
in a car accident. Also, the five, remember it was five people in the car. They had to cram three people under the back seat. If those three people were crammed into that back seat and they got T-boned on that side, having that extra head bonking around in there could have resulted in a death. So by him removing removing him from the equation of what was in that car actually probably did save lives. And it really, it's not because he had a bad feeling about it. He had to work. But it's such an interesting story because his questions are valid. Like, did they die in the original accident? Is he in an alternate reality where he didn't die? That is what the multiversal theory would be. That you die in one reality, you shift to another one. But then why did the other friends remember the first one did they die as well were they then caught up in the second car accident because in some sort of final destination twist even though they didn't die in the first car accident they were injured but since peter was there it was a a piece on the board that was out of place so the universe basically reset the game the following week and put those friends in the situation they were supposed to be in. It's just a bizarre story. And I wonder, like, I think that they did what we would all do. We'd chalk it up to a weird event, but we would still keep driving. I don't think that that would be enough to make sure we never drove down that intersection again. But these kids did. Because it's not that, right? It didn't, they didn't see it as a vision of their demise. They just saw it as a weird paranormal event. Odd. Odd story. And he's been thinking about it for 20 years, and he's like, I still don't I still don't know how to explain it. I just came across it a couple weeks ago. I definitely don't have an answer either. Bill Gapes, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Carboner Copter. We are leaving behind Wisconsin. Fly us all the way out to Grandma's house. <laughs> As we're headed out there, I want to do a really quick Dead Rabbit Radio recommend. I recently came across a short film called The Chair. It's a short film made by a filmmaker named Curry Barker. He does a comedy. He does some comedy stuff. But he's recently branched out into horror. And he did a short film called The Chair. And it's absolutely fantastic. I I... Recommended it a couple months back, I think. Dead Rabbit Radio recommends The Chair. He just dropped another one about two weeks ago called Warnings. And I'll be honest, I've seen it once and there's some stuff I don't understand about it. I feel like I'm going to have to rewatch it. I've been busy today, you know, doing podcast stuff, but I'm looking forward to rewatching it, kind of. Because if you saw the chair, you'll know that Curry Barker, and this is a young man, this guy must be in his like mid-twenties, he has an eye for the terrifying. The chair is one of the best, and I watch a lot of short horror movies, and we do them on our Patreon movie nights. I have a Patreon movie night. We didn't get one done in October, unfortunately, but we'll do definitely have one in November. I watch a lot of short horror content. Curry Barker is the undisputed king of this content. I mean, absolutely fantastic stuff. So when he dropped a new one that I just found out about called Warnings, I watched it as soon as I could. He, he's, a, he's genius. 
He's a genius. He's dropping stuff in these short films I've never seen. And as a lifelong horror movie fan, horror story fan, all of it, just for example, I've never seen this. I was watching this, and I thought, I've never seen this in any medium. And it's absolutely terrifying. In this short, and this isn't what the whole thing's about. I'm not going to give anything away, but I thought this was such an intriguing element. In the short film Warnings, a man is having a nightmare, and in the nightmare, someone shows up and takes a picture of him, a Polaroid of him in the dream. And when he wakes up, he's talking to his friends, and he's trying to figure out what's going on. He finds the Polaroid from his dream in the real world sitting on his kitchen table. I go, I've never seen that before. That is terrifying. Because he has no idea what's going on already. He And the events, the supernatural events that are warping his world and his reality are already starting to consume him. And then he has this horrible nightmare where in it, a guy shows up and takes a photo of him in his dream. And then he finds it in the real world. Like, that's so unexplainable. And what's funny is these are low budget, right? Great film work, cinematography's on point, the acting's great, all of it, the script's fantastic. But they're single location. This is a young filmmaker, probably in L.A., shooting these films. And low budget often breeds brilliant minds. I've never seen a horror movie, not even a Freddy Krueger movie or anything like that, where a photograph is taken in a dream and then appears in the real world. I expect great things from Curry Barker. And I really think, you, if you haven't seen The Chair, you got to watch it before Halloween. It's fantastic, scary film. This one, Warnings, I love as well, but I don't understand parts of it. I have to re-watch it, and I will rewatch it but i wanted to recommend it to you as quickly as i could check it out dead rabbit radio recommends warnings shop come on in here let's talk about these notes These notes, they might mean something. What do you mean? Well, obviously they don't have an origin. Right. Wait, no, they do have an origin. Oh, that's right, they do have an origin. Yeah. We just don't know the origin. Right. Or you don't know the origin. You know where they Sean, came from? these notes, they might mean something. You said that. Who do you know? Who have you aggravated that would want to stop Pose? Wait, why? I'm saying I think you have an enemy, Sean. Enemies are dangerous. That's what I'm afraid of. Who's your biggest enemy? I don't know. Are you talking to Kyle again? Who? Are you seeing Kyle again?
we've landed at Grandma's house. Bill Gates is letting us off of the Carpenter Copter. We're about to meet a young man. Let's call him Joe. Joey. It's 2009. And I, I'm sorry if you have an aversion to car accidents. I didn't really think when I put these two stories together. You're like, whew, that last story was my worst nightmare. Surely the story about the dead grandma will be better. It's 2009. Joey's great-grandpa and great-grandma, who we'll call Scott and Mary, are driving down the road. Scott runs a stop sign and horrible car accident. So I don't know where this story took place. It didn't take place in Wisconsin, at least as far as I know. It's a horrible car accident. And Mary dies in a very grotesque way. There's a lot of good ways to die. There's some gross ways to die. Apparently, she was so lacerated. She had so many lacerations from this car accident that she was bleeding out pretty heavily. According to Joey, she had swallowed some of the glass. The impact was that forceful that some of the glass went down her throat and began cutting her up from the inside as well. So it wasn't only her wounds to her body that were killing her. She was drowning in her own blood. She ends up dying on the way to the hospital. Joey and his family, they're not from this area. They may be from this area, but they weren't living in the area at the time. They travel out for the funeral. I believe the great-grandpa survived. There was no mention of that. but They travel out for the funeral... And Joey's family says, you know what? Instead of getting a hotel, why don't we all stay at Grandma Mary's house? Stay there. So they do. And the day of the funeral has approached. They're there for a couple days, making preparations, and finally the day of the funeral has approached. And Joey's mom says, hey, go iron your shirt. You can't... Be dressed like that. It looks all crumpled up. You slept slept in it last night, didn't you? He's like, yeah, probably shouldn't have done that. Go iron your shirt. Fine, Mom. I'll do that. Now, Joey's been to this house before. He knows where Grandma Mary keeps the iron. In the basement. And he walks down there. And he finds the ironing board. But he can't find the iron. He's looking around. Where could it be? Where's that iron looking? Looking over here, looking over there. And he says that he thought out loud to himself, which I understand what that means. A lot of times I'm thinking, but there are times where I will think out a phrase, clearly talking to myself without moving my lips. He thinks to himself out loud. He goes, Great Grandma, Where would you have put the iron? And that's when he hears, well, he said it's in his head. He goes, I heard it in my head, a voice, and it was to my left. But I didn't hear it in my left ear. I heard it in my head, but my head still could 
located as coming from the left of me. And it wasn't just a voice. He clearly recognized it as his great-grandmother Mary's voice. Dearie, it's above the dryer. You have to look up, though. It is rather high. And he does. He looks up. But then he thinks for a second. He's like, wait a second. <laughs> wait a second. He looks up to see if the iron's really there. But then he thinks, wait, what? Like, there's something more important than the iron's going on down here. I just heard my grandmother's voice, my great-grandmother's voice, to the left of me. So I'm not worried about the iron right now. Is Grandma here? And Joey said that he turned to his left. And he looks and he sees nothing but the shadows of the basement on that side of the room. But then he sees something, someone, walking towards him. Stepping out of the shadows, he sees great-grandmother Mary soaked in blood. He said the blood looked like it would have looked right after the accident. That's the way that he could explain it. It's not like he saw her, obviously, after the accident, but he would have heard the stories about how bad it was. And he said he could just see her soaked in blood where all these lacerations would be on her body. And Joey said, I freaked out. That's, that's a understandable reaction. He goes, I freaked out and I just ran upstairs. He said the only other encounter at that home that could be even slightly paranormal was even later after the funeral, I don't know if it was days or weeks or whatever, but as they were packing up the house to move stuff out, presumably to sell it, he said the house has been sold at this point. He goes, as the house is being packed up, the vacuum cleaner turned on by itself. But that's what we would call de-escalation, right? Vacuum cleaner turning on by itself, while that may be paranormal, blood-soaked grandma in the basement is really the selling point and i'm not saying that i'm glad i'm in no way or in no way hope that you guys think i'm saying it's a selling point that this guy's grandma died it's not a good thing but i mean the blood soaked <laughs> the blood soaked grandma is kind of the climax of this story while the vacuum cleaner turning on actually might be even more proof of the paranormal we don't know if it was if it was unplugged then obviously it's has a paranormal origin. If it was plugged in, then it could be a short circuit, but blood-soaked grandmother walking around in the basement. Now, there's two different things that this could be. I mean, there's a billion different things that it could be, but one thing is it could be a, a grief hallucination. Right? He could be so upset by everything that his brain made this up. He saw something that wasn't there. Possible. Some may argue likely, but I think you can also just look at the idea of this ghost appearing in front of her great-grandson in a moment of need. You know, it wasn't that he 
was going to face any huge problems. He basically just needed the iron, but he called out for his great-grandmother, and she appeared. The curious thing about that is, we, this is something we've talked about over the course of four or five years on this show, really. Why do ghosts appear the way that they do? And I've talked about it so often where I'm not going to focus on that because I don't want to be a broken record. But to appear before a loved one in the most visceral form you think would be a bad call. Because the grandma... Here, here's the thing. You go, well, Jason, maybe she didn't have a choice. Maybe she died with these injuries and she's appearing with these injuries. Fair. However... When she talked to him, when she said, this was a quote from him, Deary, it's above the dryer. You have to look up, though. It is rather high. She wasn't sounding like she was suffocating on blood. It wasn't a gurgle. So she does have the ability to have working vocal cords, even though all of that was probably shredded in the accident as well. It should have been... but it wasn't so some of the injuries followed her in the afterlife but not all of them there's also another interesting question a lot of times we talk about why ghosts have the forms that they do something we've only touched on slightly is how about our observations of the ghosts A new homeowner who knew nothing of the car accident, who had no relationship with her, may see her as a kindly old grandmother standing in the shadows of the basement, which would be the creepiest place to be, as far as a ghost is concerned. But knowing how she died and having a close attachment to her and Constantly thinking of that over and over in your head, like, oh my god, my great-grandma died, and not just died, but she died in such a horrific way. She may have appeared how she wanted to appear, non-bloody. But then, just like an overlay, reality being put on top of the paranormal, he may have perceived the injuries himself because he's been so locked into that mind state of seeing her like that. I mean, at this point, we're just hypothesizing why ghosts appear the way they do. But I could imagine that being possible. The way that he puts it, he uses kind of interesting wording when he describes her ghost. He said, she steps out from the shadows covered in blood as she would have been when she died. So I'm taking that as the blood would be in the same types of patterns. Let's say he knew that she threw her arms up before the impact and she had severe lacerations on her wrists and forearms. That those would have been bloodier than, say, her shoulders or her torso. That's how I read that. So I'm thinking like his view of her... Because we've all done that, right? We've all gotten bad news about somebody... And we can get locked into that intrusive thought where we keep replaying that accident over and over again. And I think, man, what were they going through? What were they thinking? How did it feel? And I try to get out of that stuff real quick because it doesn't do anybody any good. 
get locked in this, I can't believe that happened to great-grandmother. I can't believe that's what happened to Grandma Mary who held me on her lap and fed me Mickey Mouse pancakes. I can't believe that happened to Grandma Mary. I remember that time she took me shopping and I got that new Nintendo game and I had so much fun. And I can't believe that happened. You get locked in that. So he may have taken his horrific vision of her death and laid it over a more peaceful and serene vision that she created to see her great-grandson Just like the first story, we don't know. It is the exploration of the unknown when we delve into these stories. And they don't always have these super satisfying conclusions, but those are the ones I kind of like. The ones that are just kind of left open. The ones that we interpret and add a little piece of nugget of information in our brain and go on to the next adventure. I would be very interested, though, if she's still in this house. If she's attached herself to this home. Was she just there to say goodbye to her family one last time? Again, like the visions of the the disasters, not everybody has them. Did other people encounter Grandma Mary over the course of those days leading up to that funeral? Maybe she just appeared to some of them in a dream and people kind of brushed them off. Maybe other people in the family saw her in that house and had a little bit of peace, but didn't tell anyone else because ghosts are things babies believe in. And they kept it to themselves. Maybe no one else saw the spirit. Maybe only Joey did. And maybe I'm completely wrong. Maybe I'm giving a peaceful vision of mary's end maybe joey was right maybe he did see her soaked in blood lingering in the darkness of the basement maybe that is her final form maybe she is trapped down there in the lightless subterranean room underneath the house she filled with so much love now that is where her spirit resides a grim end to a woman who loved life, loved her family, surrounded them with joy and comfort. Now a blood-soaked ghoul trapped in the basement. We don't know. We don't know where this story took place. It was posted online by some guy going by the name is Joe Nye, the IT guy. That's why he had the name Joe, I guess. I didn't even... I didn't even look at that. It's posted online by some guy called Joe Nye, the IT guy. We don't know where this story took place. We don't know where that house is. But right now, someone could be walking around the basement of their home, throwing some clothes in the dryer, checking their watch, realizing it's a little too late, that they got to get up early for work tomorrow morning. They're still doing chores. And in the corner of that basement, they have no idea there's an old woman wearing blood-soaked clothing standing behind them. She stayed on Earth because she loved her family so much. 
She wasn't ready to go to the other side. Now she just stands in darkness, weeping for the family that sold that home and will never, ever return. Even though she gave up an eternity in paradise just to see her family one last time. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great day.